okay, let's do this. How many of you had a fantastic week? Raise your hand. Like it was like amazing, like a really good week. Okay, awesome. That's really positive. Hava, I, I did not expect anything less, sweet princess. Anybody who knows Hava knows that there is no such thing as a bad week with her. So um, how many of you, your week was hmm, pretty average, just normal, like whatever. Okay, a little bit, little bit less. How many of you, you had a trying week this week? I, if you're in leadership of this church, it might have been the last 45 days. So you're asking, was it this week or last week? All the weeks in the recent history has been, uh, has been that way. And, um, you know, I've said it before for those who have been here for any period of time. Whenever the Lord sets out during the week to, to kind of inspire me on where he would like to go with the message, there isn't, I don't have like a, like a treasure trove of messages and then it's like, okay, the next time I speak or the next time I get two weeks to speak or three weeks to speak or whatever, I'm just going to go ahead and pull out the filing cabinet and go to topic blank. No, every week when it's my turn to preach, I go before the Lord and I say, hey, Lord, you know, this is what we've been doing as a church. What is it that you have for us this week? And inevitably, he decides that he is going to make sure whatever area of my heart, my mind, my walk is tested with whatever is going to be taught that week. And so this week, I actually thought like, hey, this is going to be a super exciting week. Praise is something, you know, I have a little bit of experience in, you know, i Traveled around the country for a couple of years as a praise and worship leader. Uh, I could walk into a place at any point in time, somebody hand me a guitar, and I felt like I could do a pretty good praise and worship set without any type of practice, any type of preparation. It was just one of those gifts the Lord had given me. So it's like, okay, we're going to talk about praise this week. I am well-versed to talk about praise in my mind. And then yesterday came. Yesterday was a day from H-E double hockey sticks. Oh, man. Wow. Seemed like from the moment I woke up in the morning, I was just off. Just off. There's no real reason. Fridays are normally my off day, especially if I'm, I'm preaching on Saturday. And so there's no reason. It's not like I had to get up early. It's not like I had any place to go. It's not like there was anything super pressing. But just from the moment I woke up, I would have rather have been as far away from any single forms of life that existed, locked away to where, not that they could bother me, but that I couldn't hurt them. It's just one of those moments. Like, I don't know if it was my blood sugar. I, I'm going to find every excuse under the sun. But all I know is that I was a real intellectual donkey from the moment I woke up to about midday yesterday. And all of a sudden, I had kind of a revelation that was when I hadn't opened my Bible that day. I hadn't listened to any praise and worship music. Um, the night before, I really hadn't either. We had had a meeting. I went to bed right after I had a meeting with somebody in the congregation. And so there wasn't this normal, there's kind of a balance for me. And that includes worship music. Worship music is always a balance for me. And so I had one heck of a day yesterday testing whether or not I was actually going to practice what I preach. Then we came in this morning. I was like, man, today's going to be an amazing day. You know, I, I made it through my test. And uh, our drummer 
who runs a crew of some sort, had an injury and an accident with an employee and had to run out basically not even one song into practice this morning. And so I know, you know, the Bible says that if you're an elder and you can teach, it's a double blessing. The Bible does not give a double blessing for if you are a pastor who can also bang on drums. So I won't say that it was a double blessing this morning because in my ears, I turned myself off. So I apologize to all of you if it was bad. But we've gone through spiritual maturity as believers over the last couple of weeks. We've gone through the different types of leaderships inside the book of Ezekiel, bad leadership, evil leadership, what good traits are, what, what that kind of stuff is. I know you're never going to be able to hear me say it right from this point on. Anytime, uh, I'm not going to say it from the pulpit again. I'm just not going to do it. It's already on YouTube. But we've gone through what the Bible says about how we can take the words of God, how we can read them, how we can study them, how we can allow them to penetrate us, and then we can actually do something with them, with our feet, with our tongue, with our life, how to do something. It's not just enough to know about God. You have to walk with God. See, our goal as a church is to teach you about Jesus and then to teach you how to be Jesus and how to be Jesus to other people in everything you do inside your homes, inside your workplaces, and all of those other areas. So today, and probably never again after this week, I want to look at the topic of praise. See, traditionally, praise is aligned with what we just saw, praise and worship music. And if you've been in any corner, in this corner of Christianity for any period of time, praise and worship is probably the most overlooked area of the congregational gathering. There's a lot of emphasis in the roots-based side of Christianity on the teaching, on the knowledge, on, uh, hey, let me, let me unlock some mystery that you've been lied to or all of these different things. And that's the emphasis of most of the gatherings that they have. When it comes to worship, a lot of times worship is predominantly influenced by what we like to call Davidic dance. Now, it's loosely Davidic dance because I'm pretty sure David had more than four moves like this. And it also says that David was not wearing flannels and jeans and skirts when he was dancing. So we loosely Davidic dance, but we like to call it Davidic dance. Praise is a lifestyle that does include this. This is a portion of it. But it is so much more than just this. Now, as we study the Bible and we learn, if we don't apply all the areas of what the Scripture says to praise in our lives, then how are we ever going to combat and overcome the trials and the tribulations of our lives? You see, we tend to go into physical mode when problems arise. I'm short on money this month. Um, I can't find a replacement net for my child's pitch back. And I've got to spend hours and hours and hours. Or uh, I'm struggling in my relationships, whether it would be with spouses or with siblings. Or I'm, I'm struggling with people at my church. You know, I'm not sure if they're really my church or not. You know, we're going to take a break. You know, they're not perfect. So, you know, we're struggling. We're always struggling. 
my friends and I, well, we're not talking to each other right now because he's a Cowboys fan and that's idolatry. And there's all kinds of things. My boss is being a pain. Every single day of your life, you're going to experience some sort of physical mode, tension, or problem. It's impossible not to. It is possible to decide how you're going to approach those. See, a list of these trials and tribulations can be endless. You know, a lot of times in church, if we're going to talk about sin, we're going to talk about things, we're going to talk about addictions. You know, we're going to talk about things that have got us wrapped up. But some of the greatest addicts are people who are addicted to anger. Some of the greatest addicts are people who are addicted to drama. Some of the greatest addicts are addicted to pride and ego. You see, we like to talk about alcohol. We like to talk about sex. We like to talk about all these taboo items that are words we shouldn't say from the pulpit anymore because... You know, it's, it's just not right to do that. But pride kills just as much as alcoholism or sexual addiction or financial addiction or whatever those are. Anger, bitterness kills just as much as being addicted to cigarettes. And so as we look at the physical trials, we have to be honest because you can't overcome anything in your life, physical or spiritual, until you can be honest with what you actually struggle with in your life. And when you can be honest about what you struggle with in your life, then it becomes more prevalent in revelation when you're in those situations. When you're at work, at the marketplace, oh man, my anger is welling up inside of me. Or oh man, my distrust is welling up inside of me. And sometimes it's just somebody walking by you. Sometimes you don't even have a relationship with them, but it's something that's a trigger for you. And when you start to reveal that inside yourself through the honesty of who you are, God can then reveal it inside of you in the honesty of who he is. And only through God can we solve that. You see, we tend to see our problems, our disagreements, and our spiritual mental moments as targets that we need to tackle and fires we need to put out. But what good is putting out fires if we don't come to a place where we're proactively building rather than always reactionary to putting out the fires? What good is putting out the fires if you then leave kerosene on top of dry kindling with an igniter in the presence? You're not being proactive on how you can overcome a situation. No, you're actually backdrafting. For all of you who are young in the room, that is a movie where a firefighter starts fires and then goes and puts them out. And that's what we do a lot of times. A lot of times, we're reactionary to things that we actually put accelerant on. And so, how to be, become proactive rather than reactionary? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, as hard as it is for me today, I do thank you for the trials and the tribulations this week. I thank you for allowing me to see when you need to mold and need to make me, when you need to mold and make the situations, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to be used by you, that you would even care enough 
to show me those areas of my life and my heart that I need to work on, that you would even give me those opportunities to draw closer to you. And so today, Lord, as we look at how we use our lips and our minds and our hands and and our feet to praise you as a weapon of warfare for the physical and spiritual trials and tribulations we have, Lord, I ask that you would continue to help each and every person in this room and online overcome the things they need to overcome in you. It's in the name of Yeshua. Amen and amen. Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. How many of you guys have heard that? We don't wrestle against flesh and at least a part of it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're constantly ruling against the devil or our pride or our ego or our addictions or whatever it is. In whatever form, the Passion Translation all the way up to the King J.V. Where thy, thou is with thy presence of thy then spiritual nature of thy why wrestle. What about the context of that? What about the context of this? Because it sounds great. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 first says that first we are to obey our earthly masters with lip service or malicious obedience. So before it talks about us wrestling against flesh and blood, not, but with principalities and darkness, it says that we aren't to be maliciously obedient to all the parents in the place of like, amen, preacher, preacher. We aren't to be malicious in our obedience or to use lip service to our earthly masters. We're to have a genuine heart to do everything as if it was for the Lord. So that the trials at work, the trials and the responses therein, they all have spiritual implication. It's not just that you're wrestling with it, but what you do with it and how you react to it is just as important. Oh, not today, Satan. But Satan didn't make you turn around and open your computer screen. Satan didn't make you then turn around while your employee was insubordinate and then yell and scream and be destructive to them. Satan didn't make you take and steal or take from somebody else. Yes, it's true that we do wrestle against principalities of darkness. It's not all flesh. But Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 says that what you do matters. Serve with a genuine heart. Many times we chalk up serving with a genuine heart as just saying, hey, look, we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus. If we can preach the gospel of Jesus, we've done our job as Christians. It's more than that. It's more than just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus with your lips. You actually have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus with your life. With your life. Sometimes we just do this half-heartedly. You know, One of the greatest things I get to do as the senior pastor is I get to sit back there a lot of weeks and I get to be in the back of the room. People are like, oh, you're the senior pastor. When Brent's teaching, you should be be up front. You can learn a lot about people when you're in the back of the room. Because all the attention is up here. And so I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but when you walk into the house of the Lord and you're like, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will praise him. 
I see it. I see it when you walk through the doors and you're like, I told you to stop it. If you don't want Jesus to come by behind you. Oh, praise the one who. And I get it. I get it. Having children, having spouses, I get it. I'm not, I'm not immune to the emotions and to the problems that exist. But I've been around the block a long time in a lot of different denominations. And normally, what you see when people walk through those doors is the best version of themselves that they can possibly muster up in that moment. Why? Because when you go to Walmart, you will have the yoga pants on, you will pull the hair up, and you'll just be like, I'm just here for some jalapenos. Ain't nobody, oh, hi, I saw you. I didn't know my neighbor was going to be here. And you're in and out. But when you come to church, you have the expectation, these are other believers, these other believers care about me, they care about what I do in my family, they're probably judging me, they probably are, we've talked about in spiritual maturity, and we've created a country club mentality, so when you walk through those doors, it's not like some of the times throughout history of the church where you came through those doors running like you came through the doors of an emergency room. I got a gunshot wound. I need you to save me. Or I'm bleeding out spiritually. I need you to pray for me. No, we walk in and we got gunshots, but we're all taped up. And we're like, I'm good today. So if we're walking through these doors that way, but we walk through the doors of Walmart or Crest or whatever with a different mentality, if this is the best you have and you walk through the doors... You're not actually spiritually bringing your best to the house of the Lord. Now, this isn't the temple, but if you're not bringing your spiritual best in a place that a lot of times we try to put on that facade, then what are you bringing on a daily basis? What are you bringing when you walk into Walmart? What are you bringing when you walk into your office? Are you bringing the right atmosphere? Are you bringing Jesus with you? Or are you basically gone ahead and then every once in a while you're going to phone a friend and say, Jesus, I need you. If we cannot walk through those doors with, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. If you can't even do that, then you're not going to do it at Walmart. You're not going to do it when you wake up with your spouse. You're not going to do it when you're at work. And sometimes work can be the most challenging place that you have. If you're not going to do it when you come before the Lord on the day that he's called you, then I have a hard time believing you're doing it on a regular basis. See, your attitude towards warfare over the trials and the tribulations of your daily life, the testimony of who you serve, is it? Oh, 
a client doesn't pay you, you got a multi-thousand dollar job and they're 70, 70 days behind, 90 days behind, they, they're skipping out on it. And you got to, I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. Why? Because you can do anything you want to get the money, but God can take care of it a lot faster. You can do anything you want to try to make yourself feel better, but God can change hearts. Because he makes dead things come alive. I can't make dead things come alive out of my own power. I can barely keep houseplants alive. God makes dead things come alive. Now, church, this isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't like, oh, hey, if you just have a happy heart, everything's going to be good. God's going to give you your money. He's going to give you that Porsche. He's going to give you all those things. That's not true. God will take care of you. But God also says that it isn't going to be easy. But why do you consistently make it so daggone hard on yourself? You're fighting battles in the physical realm that the Lord is trying to conquer in the spiritual realm. God isn't going to keep you from having troubles in your life. John 16, says that we will all have troubles. It's not a matter of if. It's when. You will have troubles. The Bible tells me so. You will have troubles. So how do we respond if we're following the word of God? Now I want to do a little word picture this week. Because if we have a physical threat to our home, if we have a physical threat to our home, we hear something outside. We're looking outside, we're looking out the windows, we're checking our cameras. I don't have cameras in my house, come test me. We're looking at the cameras, like they, they come in, sweep the house, open the door, sweep your kid's room, make sure the bolts are locked, all right, I can go to bed. But what happens when anger creeps into your house? Shut up, leave me alone, I'm trying to sleep. What happens when lust creeps in? You know, one of the studies I read recently is that most of the time that people are involved in lustful behavior is in the evening or when they're left alone. Their spouse is asleep, it's nighttime, they're bored, their mind's wandering. So they're scrolling Instagram, they're scrolling these places, they're engaged in those types of things. Where, where, why aren't you sweeping the house then? We're going to physically sweep the house. Because something was going on inside you. What it was, I don't know. We take a different approach with the threat of a physical intrusion. Let me take that a step further. This is Oklahoma. Almost everybody in this room, thank God I brought the Nerf and not the real one, because... I'm sure there's some in this room that have been pulling too. They've been like, Pastor, don't make me do it. But you're walking around in Walmart. Ah, man, I, I had a real revelation to myself the other day. I went in a Walmart to pick something up real quick, make homemade sauce, and I got my, my concealed carry. I am probably the poorest person in that Walmart, financially speaking. Who am I worried about coming after me? 
I drive like a 2012 Ford Expedition. I got one vehicle. I ain't got no money. Like, and I'm in here like protecting myself. Somebody's going to rob the place. They're going to be like, man, I picked the wrong dude to rob. But like I'm walking in one of this a real nice Walmart with a gun in there. And then when I go home, like I got no problem throwing on Eminem and losing myself in the music of the moment. You own it. You better never let it go. Oh. And you let things into your house. So you take a different approach with your physical warfare than you do with your spiritual warfare. And sometimes, church, you're loading those physical bullets and you're shooting after spiritual things. Man, I'm real PO'd today. What good did that do? It didn't do any good. So how do we respond if we're going to physically prepare for spiritual battles the same way that we fight and prepare for physical issues? Well, it's not a concealed carry permit. Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22, we see that David sings a song about his need, about his trust of God to rescue him from his enemies. The song was so powerful that in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, Habakkuk sings the same exact song when he finds himself in need of God to rescue him, to deliver him, and him needing to lay it down before the feet of the Lord. Romans 10, 9 tells us that victory over darkness comes through the verbal affirmation of our faith in God and Yeshua's power to deliver us. 2 Chronicles 20, 22 tells us that before they went to war, they sent them out praising before the army. Sent them praising before the army. See, I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. And I don't mind to demolish things in my path. Bull in a china shop is one, one comment that's been used with me. And I've had to learn that sometimes before I bull in a china shop a situation, I have to step back and I have to ask, I have to seek, I have to pray, I have to worship, I have to praise. And sometimes I will find very quickly that my response is not the same response as what I immediately would do. And even this week we had a situation where immediately I had a thought and then later because I sat on it with the Lord and I praised and I worshiped and said, I need you to reveal this to me, Lord. I need you. I need you to fight this battle. He gave some wisdom and some counsel that protected a whole lot of people attached to this church. But in 2 Chronicles 20, 22, it says that they went out praising before the army. Those in the room who know Hebrew, Hodu, Adonai, Kitov, Leolam, Kaso. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. But not that his mercies just last for today or tomorrow, but that his mercies last forever. Not that just that his mercies are good in the church, not in the workplace. This is only like a like this is only an in-store credit. No, no, his his mercies are good for today, for tomorrow, for the future. His mercy endures in the workplace, at the shopping mall church at your home god is not a one and done we talked about this in the 99 for the one 
that everything in the world is God's currency. It was created for his benefit, for his glory, for his use. And what we do with it is either giving it back to him to force multiply like the multiplicity of the talents, or it's us hoarding it and making sure God knows that we think that we are our own God and we're scared of what he could do with it. Romans 8, 31 tells us that when Jesus is for us, who can be against us? But why does it really matter? I mean, if we're thinking about it, like, why does it matter if Jesus is for us? Yes, in the heavenly realm, when we're talking about salvation, it absolutely matters. It says that there's no way to the Father except through the Son. So when we're talking about punching the ticket to, to the heavenly chocolate factory, the golden ticket, the Willy Wonka moment for our life, that Jesus is the only way. But how many of you think about the conflicts with your employees, or the conflicts with your neighbors, or the conflicts with, with extended family or whatever? How, do you, how many of you think, like, where is Jesus being for you fit into that? Did somehow Jesus just decide today that he's for you, and if he's for you, who can be against you, except when you need a job, except when you need deliverance, except when you need to come up with, with some important decision that you're afraid could drastically impact your, your spouse or your mom or your children. So if God is for us, who can be against us except for when we're at Sprouts? Except for when we come home from work. We've had a bad day. The Bible doesn't give caveats. If God is for us, then who can be against us? It matters. It matters because all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, it tells us that Jesus is above every name in heaven and earth. So to put it in layman terms, he is the big boss baby in charge. He's your, the guy, the top. If you need somebody, he is the guy you go to. Why does that matter? Because Matthew 28, 18 also tells us that not only does he have the name above all names, but that Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is the end all to be all. So I, I guess I got to ask a question. So when we have financial issues, or we aren't trained how to balance a checkbook, or we don't know how to do stocks, or we're just trying to make more money, why is the first thing we turn to a heavyset bald man who has a, a snowball. Why, why is he the first person? Is he the authority over all things? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an individual with, with a lesson plan or anything. But who's the greatest financial counselor? The one who created all finance. Jesus. Not Dave Ramsey. Not some church system. Not me. Not Bill Gates. Not Warren Buffett. They might have good ideas, but who is the ultimate authority? The Bible says the ultimate authority of heaven and earth is Jesus. Okay, so what happens when we have a marriage problem? We're like, 
oh, you got to hear this couple. They have this YouTube page, and they're funny, and they laugh, and then they also do these things, and it's exactly like my marriage goals. Why are they the authority on fixing your marriage? And guys, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't use them as a resource. There's great resources. But why is the first thing we do, we go to other people who are flawed like us, rather than trusting what the Bible says, which is that Jesus is above all people. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all knowledge, and everything is underneath him. If Jesus is for you, who can be against you? You can be against you. You. Let's not even get into the devil yet. Let's talk about you. You can be against you. The devil didn't make me do anything yesterday. I woke up as a complete donkey hole. It wasn't the devil, it was me. I did it. I did it. Who was the person who could change it for me when I started to ask Jesus to change my heart? Because obviously my adjustment not going well and guess what he did it took about 35 minutes but he did so why are we looking to earthly things to solve earthly problems when earthly things have spiritual connections that cannot be solved by earthly things only by heavenly things spiritual things if you aren't praising God in all circumstances, then you're not following the Bible. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians tells in 5.18 that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. So even in this season where my wife and I are having to make some real tough changes into our life that we didn't have to do the last 9, 10 years, we're giving thanks to the Lord. Yesterday, I gave thanks to the Lord that he allowed me to wake up. My wife probably didn't give thanks that I was a donkey hole in the morning, but sooner or later she came around too because I had a heart change and a posture change. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. If you aren't praising God in all circumstances, you've already lost whatever trial you are in. You've already invited the devil for dinner and you decided you're picking up the tab. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us we are to thank him for how you are being molded and developed both spiritually and physically and how he is perfecting you and maturing you in your faith. Sometimes the trials you're experiencing are for you to give thanks for the fact that you didn't even realize that God needs to make you more like Jesus. And I always, always love when when you got to tell somebody that, and they're like, well, Jesus turned over tables too. Once. Most of the time, he was kind and he was compassionate. He met somebody where they were at. Tried to develop a relationship to be influential with them. He wasn't walking in, stone cold Steve Austin, chugging a beer, smashing it down, and slamming them on the ground. It wasn't happening. He was kind. He was impactful through relationship. And even in some of the greatest, most horrific beatings a human being has ever gone, he still went to that cross willingly 
he still went to that cross because he knew it's what he needed to do. God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. Psalm 22. So when we praise God, both independently and corporately, we praise him for the times that the circumstances are bad and the times when the circumstances are good. We praise God when he's molding and perfecting us and the times where he's giving us a break. When we praise God, we are enthroning God. Why does that matter? Because the Bible told us, we looked at those scriptures, that when we enthrone God, we are acknowledging that God is in his rightful place above everything. We're acknowledging he is the ultimate authority under heaven and earth. When we do that, we can put our Nerf guns down, people. Because at that point, the battle is not being fought by you. The battle is being fought by somebody who has the ability to win all battles. But sometimes we have to remember that the greatest element of praise is sacrifice. I know men in general, if you look at the studies, a lot of men, it's very hard for them to lift their hands. It's exposing themselves. It's exposing their chest. It's exposing vulnerabilities. There's a guy who is a Hebrew roots teacher who likes to do martial arts, and he has these videos where he's constantly stabbing or slashing people. And when you go like this, if, you, if you're in martial arts, you know you're exposing a portion of your torso, which could be very deadly if somebody has evil intentions. And so when we come to worship, when we come to those times, a lot of times you'll see a lot of men stand like this. They'll stand like this. They'll stand like this. Trust me, I do it too. Where you're nervous, you don't know what to do with your hands. You don't know what to do. But there's power when you can say, I get, I can't do it. I get, I don't have the answer. I get that you do. I'm enthroning you. By enthroning you, I'm believing the word of God, which says the Father's testimony, back to Brent last week, the Father's testimony, which says you are Jesus, you are King, you are Lord, you are Master, which means I don't have the answers, but you do. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with letting you lead. In our lips to stop the cycle of drama but to proclaim the freedom of Jesus you see the devil perverts the devil cannot create so the devil takes something like confession which is really a praise when you can confess I need God I'm struggling in my life that is a praise. That's a, that's a way to make yourself low and to make God big and to acknowledge what God's doing in your life. That's a form of praise is confession. And what the Lord has done, or what the devil has done is he's twisted confession and he's turned confession into a time of, they're, they're all going to shame me. I can't speak about it because they'll know the truth. Well, most people already know the truth. That every person in this room is a liar at some point in time. That everybody in this room is a sinner at some point in time. That everybody in this room has made a stupid decision. Everybody in this room, probably with the exception of the children, has willingly made 
a sinful decision at some point in time. So when we start to become transparent, when we start to become unguarded, and we start to place ourselves in the position of Israel, which is we are the children of God, then God becomes God, and we are no longer God. And through that, there's healing, there's power, there's restoration. Ezra 3.11 says they sang songs of praise. The worship team can start coming back. Ezra 3.11 says they sang songs of praise and thanksgiving that the Lord is good and faithful forever before the foundation of the temple had been led, laid. Excuse me. So in Ezra, before they actually laid the foundation of the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Yeah, they had, some, they had like a full-fledged praise break. Like, they were in and out. Like, Ezra 3.11 says that they sang song of praise and thanksgiving that the Lord is good and faithful forever before the foundation of the temple was even laid. How many of you have built a house? We're seeing a house built. They're building all kinds of houses in our subdivision right now. I can tell you one thing I have not seen so far. I've not seen the family out there, like, praise breaking away, like... As they're pouring the slab on the concrete, like, the Lord is good. This is a nice house. The Lord is good. No, you don't even see them. What you see is when the contractors start to build the house, you see something, and somebody's walking around with a notepad because something's not right. The trim color wasn't right. The windows weren't right. It was supposed to be black matte stainless, and it wasn't. It was regular black stainless, and we're, we're all worried about what's happening. Ezra 3.11 says, before the greatest house for the greatest creation of all, creator of all time, Yahweh Elohim, before they laid the foundation of the temple that they were praising and giving thanksgiving to the Lord. So this isn't some like new age, non-denominational Christian stuff. No, this is, this is our history. This is our DNA. Is that before the house of the Lord can be built, they were praising. Psalm 104 tells us that we are to enter into the gates with thanksgiving in our heart and into his courts with praise. Guys, I'm going to drop a bombshell on you today. Some of you probably already know this. Some of you are already tracking with me. But I've been in the root side of Christianity for many, many years. And there's always kind of a jealousy and a negativity towards larger churches, charismatic churches. Well, what we would term megachurches. So I, I know I did a teaching a year ago on why God wants a megachurch using scripture of Acts. But I also just want to drop this nugget in here. They had a like elevation worship night in Israel. Not only that, it was bigger than elevation worship night. It was bigger than elevation church. Uh, I don't know what the biggest church is, but it was bigger than Joel, Joel Olsen's church when Michael W. Smith shows up and starts doing Waymaker, and this is the air I breathe. It's bigger than that. And guess what? It was Jewish. It was the temple. How many of you know of a church that has roughly 500,000 attendees? I don't know of one. It's really remarkable if you get to a church that has 10 to 30,000 members across multiple campuses. But see, in the second temple period, they estimate between multiple studies, 500,000 up to 1.2 million Jews 
Hebrews were in the general vicinity of the temple. Well, the commandment and the practice of the faith was that they were to bring offerings to the temple. So what happens when all these 500, low side, 500,000 people start bringing their gifts to the temple? Seems like a megachurch to me. What happens when Psalm 104 says that they, they were told to enter the gates of the city with thanksgiving and you were to enter the courts of the temple with praise? What happens if you get a fraction of the 500,000 people coming together and praising? We've all been in this room when we go back and we pull out some Paul Wilbur and we're singing Kahadosh, and I step away from the mic and everybody's singing and it's, it's beautiful sounding. We got like 150 to 180 people in here. We're talking about 500,000 people who are going up the streets of Jerusalem to the mountaintop of the Lord where the Holy of Holies was, where the altar was, where the Lord put his name to revolutionize the world. What happens if 500,000 people are singing, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Now they're singing in Hebrew. Hebrew, not paleo, regular Hebrew, but not pictographic Hebrew. They're singing it in Hebrew. We can maybe throw some Aramaic in there. But what happens if all of a sudden Joshua Aaron is an amazing worship artist. I love him. And he's got somewhere like he's doing this thing where they do like how great is our God. And they've got it in Hebrew and German and Aramaic. How beautiful is a megachurch situation when you're going up to the house of the Lord. And you've got somebody in German singing, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. And at the same time, you've got somebody going in there like, I will enter his courts with praise. They're singing in Hebrew and you've got English. You've got all these things, Spanish, all of this together. It's pretty hard to be PO'd when you come together and you worship. You can get mad when you come in here and you're like, oh, I disagree with this theology. I disagree with this doctrine. Kudos for you. You're not the first. You won't be the last. Send me an email. We're never going to agree on doctrine, theology, on interpretation. It's not possible. If you look throughout history, it's always been that way. There's only one time it says that they were really in accord, and that was when God made them in accord on the Feast of Pentecost. They didn't even do it on their own. So you are going to get sideways with me. But it's hard to be sideways with each other. It's hard to be sideways with your spouse. It's hard to be sideways with your friends, with your mom, with your dad, with your coworkers. When you're all working together for the common good. Now out there, sometimes that's got to be we're fixing a car. That's got to be we're taking care of an appliance. That's got to be we're building a house. It's got to be something else. And here, there's one common goal. And that is to put Jesus right back where Jesus is supposed to be enthroned. The greatest Jew who ever lived. We want to look Jewish? Look like the greatest Jew who ever lived. You want to look like a Christian? Look like the greatest Christian who ever lived. You want to be, I, I don't like labels or titles. Be the greatest non-label and title guy who ever lived. He had multiple. Call him the Prince of Peace today and the King of Kings the one day and the Lord of Lords the other day. Yeshua the next day, Jesus. You can call him whatever you want. He's got all kinds of names. But at the end, it's hard for you to be 
constantly cycling in trauma and drama and all these other things in your life, if you practice praise, my own personal testimony is I've gone through some real stuff at the turn of this year. And man, I had things, and I had, I wanted to just do things. I mean, like go out to eat, that kind of stuff. That's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking anything nefarious. Those thoughts never came into my head. I don't know why you're projecting. But we went through some stuff. And I just kept praising God through it. It was hard, it sucked. It sucks to praise God when you feel like you're getting your flesh ripped apart. But it did it. And he has continued to bless my family. And he's continued to give us peace. And he's continued to do things. I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know that I've ever seen people heal before. And I've seen those things. And then it went from just praising God when those moments came up where you, you got sideways. You know, part of my DNA is that I'm an intellectual donkey on a regular basis. And so it's, it's one thing to learn how to praise God when those feelings come up. It's another when you start to praise God when you don't have conflict. When you don't have conflict or strife in your life. It's another thing when you can start to just do that. And then when it becomes, it's not just, well, every once in a while we're doing this, but it becomes literally a part of who you are and what you do in your day. Oh, man, we got to get up and we got to feed ourselves. Get yourself a good big breakfast, which Ian says is a lie. I believe he should probably talk to professionals like the Drews on what is and is not medically helpful. It's <laughs> a big breakfast. But we're worried about what to do physically Guys, I'm more worried about what you do spiritually because if you take care of your spiritual lifestyle and you walk in a manner that is in accordance with the Scripture and the Word of God and you walk in a way that brings warfare to God's doorstep and says, God, I'm no longer the one who needs to fight this battle. I trust you can fight this battle for me. And when you make that a lifestyle in what you do, well, guess what? There's nothing more Jesus-like you can do. Jesus only did the things he said that he saw the, fa saw the Father do. Well, let's do what we see Jesus do. Jesus lived a life of worship, a life of praise. The Israelites were commanded to come into the courts with praise. And I can promise you, it, they would have been called out. Have you ever met a Jew? They'd have called him out. But we come in here, and if what we do in here is a fraction of how we praise out there, we aren't giving God anywhere near our best. We're not giving Him anywhere near our best. You don't get to come before the Lord with your offering, with your body, with your life, with your mind without first enthroning him to his rightful place, a place that none of us have the right to take away. You can say Jesus isn't on the throne, 
whoop de freaking do he's still on the throne. He's just not on the throne in your life. doesn't change the fact that it's a fact. He's on the throne. He's just not on the throne in your life. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the master. It's easy to get on your knees and to cry out to God when life is hard. But Romans 12 tells us, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. When you study the temple, when you study the house of God, when you study the tabernacle, you don't bring a sacrifice without praise and thanksgiving. You don't enter the gates without it. You don't enter the courts without it. You come with praise and thanksgiving. So you cannot bring a sacrifice. You can't present yourself as a daily sacrifice, which is what Romans 12 tells us, if you're not doing it first with praise. So keep your offering. Keep your life. Go put it back on the doorstep. Go fix the things you have. Come back as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and bring praise. Present our bodies as living sacrifices that are dying to the flesh daily. And that means that daily your life needs to have praise and thanksgiving. It needs to be an atmosphere of life that is non-negotiable for you. Why? Because that's what the scripture says. I need you to look back at your life and I need you to think about the times where God has done things for you. Because a lot of times we get caught up in the lies of this world. We get caught up with the fact where it's like, well, God said he was going to provide for us and protect for us. And I'm going to work and I'm working hard and I'm working hard and I'm working hard and I still can't pay my bills. Or the times where it says that God is going to clothe us and it's like, man, everybody else is walking in with all these new nice clothes or whatever. And I just, man, I, I don't have good looking clothes. Or maybe if the youth in this room, it's like, well, all, there's always these popular people. And in all the other popular people, I love God. Why can't they see that I'm a good person, that, that God loves me, and I, I'm a child of God? All they see is this person who, who wants sex, drugs, rock and roll, all these things. And you're like, oh, I'm not seen, I'm not seen. Yeah, you are seen. God sees you. But the question is, is what are you going to do with it? I need you to remember back to those times where God's done something for you. Because that's the transition in your life, is you got to stop looking at the things that you're saying God's not doing for you. You need to go back to the things that God is doing for you, and you need to start giving Him thanks for that. And when you start giving Him thanks for the things that you know you can remember, then you're changing the DNA of your thought process, and then you're focusing on the positive things that the Lord has done for you, and you can start to see more that He's doing. And for me, it was, for me, it was when, he freed me from the, my own personal decision to walk away from God. One of the greatest moments of my life. That was one of the greatest moments of my life. And when I get sideways about money or time or any of the other things, I can look back and I can say, hell lost another one because I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. Stand with me for a second. Hell lost another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. I am free. I am free. Hell lost another one. I am free. I am free. 